So, hey, Scott, thank you again for coming on Talks with Toss. I'm really excited for this particular interview just because you're not only a two-time Olympian, but you're involved in so many ways when it comes to sports in Australia and just all the other things that you've come and become involved in and how you've grown since the last time we first spoke in Greece back in, what, 2015, something like that? Yeah, it was a while ago. It was, um, yeah, I was just thinking back to, to that experience in Greece. And yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. And yeah, excited to um, yeah, share a bit of my story. And yeah, looking forward to a chat. Yeah, so we'll just start with the simple things, basic in- introduction. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So grew up in Australia. Um, it's not known for its its winter sports by any stretch, but I grew up in a in an area of Australia, sort of the southeast coast, um, where where we do have snow. And I, I grew up in, in in the mountain region, and I grew up with a group of friends that were particularly talented um, skiers. And I it was just a school sport that we progressed, and I really enjoyed um, really enjoyed doing that. And just made my way through through the ranks and and continued to progress it um, and had a lot of success early and um, yeah that led to uh, my first Olympics in 2010 um, in Vancouver and and that was such an incredible experience I was um, I was the lowest ranked skier at the start gate and I was the oh, maybe I was second last to qualify and the, and, the, and the lowest ranked skier at the start gate and so I was a, a huge um, blessing in disguise or a huge blessing to, to have qualified and I'd broken my collarbone just six weeks prior so just to get there was incredible um, and that that experience was just something else like the Olympics was a, a lifelong um, dream for me so to, to make it to my first games was something else and then um, continued my sporting career competed in, in Sochi uh, Russia in 2014 and then then wrapped up my my skiing career after then um, and then I sort of progressed into a bit of sports administration and um, and a bit of philanthropic work and then um, really transitioned my career into into property so yeah, a bit of a, um, a bit, of, a little bit away from sport, but I'm still very much involved. So yeah. Yeah. So, so correct me if I'm wrong. You're currently the president of the athletes commission. Is that correct? Uh, chair. I think. Um, chair. President's chair. probably so, it. <laughs> it's so, a bit of a excuse me, because like, the athletes commission here on Guam, they they go by president and vice president. So I. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> same, same, but different. You know, but that is that. Same, same. Chair. Yes, so I was only um, so I've sat on that athlete commission now for almost four years, um, and yeah, just recently our um, our chair and deputy chair came off the commission, and there was an election, and yeah, got the got the call up. So it was, it's quite a humbling, um, um, yeah, quite humbled to have been elected actually, and um, yeah, excited to sort of lead that athlete commission over the next little while, and yeah, try and. Um, try and make some changes and um, do some good where I can. Yeah, awesome, awesome. I, I had to ask because I think I think around tw- 2015 was when I was the Athletes Commission here on Guam. And, and I just remember that being such a, an amazing experience to be that liaison between the athletes 
and the Olympic Committee and then finding ways to have better communication amongst the federations with athletes. And I thought it was really eye-opening because I got to learn a lot about other sports and other athletes. And, and I really appreciated that, that community building aspect when it came to the different sports. So good on you for that. That's awesome. Um, but tell us a little bit more about men's ski cross specifically. Can you describe the sport? Yeah. Yeah. So ski cross, I describe it as, um, as like motocross on skis. So four skiers race head to head through a series of berms, turns, jumps, and then the first two to the, to the finish line progress through the next round. So you start with eight rounds, um, of, uh, of four, um, and all the way to a, to a final four. So it's a super, um, super exciting um, sport to watch. You can, you can see who's winning as opposed to just an athlete against the time. Um, plenty of crashes. Um, and yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a super exciting sport. I, I've I loved it ever since I um, made that transition from alpine skiing to ski cross. And yeah, I just never really looked back. It was, it was such a, such a strategic sort of um, transition between Alpine to ski cross and yeah, the timing was impeccable and yeah, it was um, never really looked back. I've had a, I've had a great time and very, very fortunate to have sort of traveled the world for maybe six, seven years when I was on that world cup tour, um, traveling with a great team and seeing some pretty incredible places. So yeah, it was yeah, super yeah. lucky. So that's completely different from what, most I would say are used to here on Guam because it definitely doesn't snow. But I would say now that you have so much access online to, to being exposed to different sports and especially the winter sports and, and finding that more and more people are trying to travel to places like Japan where it does snow and to try different sports like snowboarding and skiing. I thought it would be a really great opportunity to share a little bit more about that sport as not even just Guam, but other Pacific Islanders who may have never even seen snow. Um, I'd never tried skiing. I really want to try it. Uh, I did try snowboarding no, for the first. Yeah, I know I have to. My mom skied. She actually grew up in California, so she skied. Um, but I tried snowboarding for the first time, I think about two, three years ago. I can't, I can't remember specifically. But I could, I mean, man, completely different ball game when it comes to dealing with snow, but it is amazing. It is so much fun to just be out in a completely different environment like that. So I'm sure the same thing goes for skiing as well, but yeah. I, it's, yeah, it's that idea of, look, what I, what I really loved about skiing in particular is it's an outdoor, outdoor sport where you do have to deal with the elements and it's just it's got such a raw feel to it like it's not like it's it's not motor car racing you don't you don't have an engine you're you're very much um at the mercy of, of gravity and it's about you how efficiently you can get from from down the hill and it's yeah i just i just love love that element of it yeah and i even had to before getting on here with you i even looked up on where does it actually snow in australia where does it snow and it's like you know you learn something new every day but i mean you know most would think oh maybe japan maybe korea to potentially go uh skiing or snowboarding but now i have australia on that list to potentially go and try maybe not the same as you but you know I'll stick to the no Australia and 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 even New Z like New Zealand's got a f phenomenal ski season as well. So 
yeah, there's um, there is snow down here. We probably oh, three months of the year um, in sort of that southeast pocket. Um, yeah, there's some great skiing. Yeah, and it, and it would be I think our summertime too. So it's like perfect to like get get mm. away from the middle of the summer heat potentially. But um, and so totally. speaking of men's ski cross and 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 talking about being at the mercy of the 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 slopes and gravity and how efficiently you can get through that course what are the training demands like to prepare for that look it's probably um it's a mixed bag depending on um the top of year or the, the, the time of year so um we kind of we broke our kind of year up into sort of four segments so we obviously have a great domestic season in, in Australia and and when you're training on snow um, you sort of start your session on snow at sort of 7 a.m um, ski from 7 through to probably uh, lunchtime with a break in between um, and then you come off the hill um, and then you do your you do your recovery um, you do your video analysis you do your prep on your equipment um, and then potentially sort of a, a gym session in the afternoon so it's a it's a full day um of of, of exercise it, yeah of exercise and training um I, and i guess that's the that's the key difference is when you're on snow it's 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 a it's very very time consuming um in the lead up to a so after the domestic season we'll do a strength and conditioning block um which is obviously um less um time demanding we would sort of spend a couple of hours in the gym might do a cardio session in the afternoon but it's sort of like three hours three hours a day um and then you go that there's sort of that that strength and conditioning phase um before you head away for the northern hemisphere season um and then that northern hemisphere season you really back off um, the weights it's about skiing it's about technique um and it's about active recovery so you sort of um it's really about that maintenance phase and just just keeping your body intact um and throughout the an injury free throughout the whole season um and so you're able to back up every every week on week, weekend for competitions and then at the end of the northern hemisphere season we have a really solid um uh, break for a, a month six weeks before we get back into our strength and conditioning phase before the domestic season so it's a very well thought out um, 12 month kind of program and you've got distinct blocks where you need to hit targets. So it's a very, it's very targeted um, training in many respects. It's, and I, that's what I really liked about it. It's not like it's, it's not like you're an Olympic weightlifter where you're in the gym every day and it's the same kind of exercise and same repetition. We have had very distinct blocks of training to achieve a very specific goal in order to set ourselves up for the next block, um, which is a very different, different block. So it's, I think that's what I really liked about it. It was um, the, the, the strength and conditioning component was very specific to, to um, a performance related task. So yeah, it was good. So it's funny you say that because I literally just started powerlifting about 10 months ago, give or take. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you know my my past before was actually my original sport was rugby sevens and so i i can yep. definitely relate when it comes to okay this is more of a strength and conditioning block 
And then we start to taper down those weights and we start to focus more on rugby specific training. And I definitely miss the variety or like literally that, like you said, that targeted type of programming when it comes to a means to an end, a specific competition or specific competitions or events, whatever the case may be, um, versus powerlifting, it's very repetitive and it can get yeah, a little sure. monotonous, but you know, I mean, I love it nonetheless. I really do. Um, but yeah, I can see how that is, that keeps things interesting and that keeps you motivated throughout an entire year of training. And, and of course, more than that, because you're, you're training to go to an Olympic, an Olympic event that only occurs every X amount of years. So, um, yeah, that's totally it. Yeah. And it's, it's that idea of, uh, it is a lot easier to motivate yourself when, when you do have a, a shorter block, um, and you've got a, you've, got to hit your target within that whatever it is a three-month training block um and so because time is is so key and crucial it does motivate you every day um and you do push harder every day and that's what i really i really liked about it and then knowing that the next block you're not going to get that opportunity just to, to do your power like your lifting and and, and your strength and conditioning so um yeah i i think that's probably what kept me um in the sport for as long as I was. And um, yeah, it wasn't just about, wasn't just about training. It was more training for a specific um, purpose. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so you mentioned things about targeted programming or, or specifics and meeting certain markers, if you will, throughout that 12 month plan. I want to shift towards when you were actually preparing for the 2014 winter Olympics. Uh, obviously you had targets set out, um, but there's a few disruptions prior to and a, a few uh, series of events that could have deterred you from competing in that event. Can you talk about those experiences and how you managed to still more or less achieve the ultimate target of competing in the 2014 winter Olympics? Yeah. I, um, I might go back to, I think I mentioned before about my lead up to the, the Vancouver Olympics. So yeah, collarbone, I, was, I hadn't known, by the way. <laughs> sorry? With your collarbone, I didn't know you broke your collarbone before that. Either. Yeah, so I had a, I was an, uh, certainly an underdog trying to qualify for, for the Vancouver Olympics. And I pretty much racked up enough points. Um, the way that The way that it works for freestyle skiing is, you need to be ranked in the top 35 um, athletes in the world by a on the on the World Cup ranking list by a certain date in order to qualify for the Olympics. Um, and then what happens though is um, each nation is only allowed to take four athletes. So if you've got say six Canadians in the top 35, mm. um, th there's a what we call an adjusted list. So it's actually the if you're ranked in the top 37, um, you will then um, have that opportunity to go because those fifth and sixth um, Canadians aren't, aren't able to attend. So there's an, an adjusted quota spot. Um, so in the lead up to Vancouver, I I'd kind of racked up enough points. I was sitting in the top 35 on the adjusted list. And then I had a huge crash and broke my, my collarbone, had a nasty head contusion, bleeding on my brain. And I was just in a 
I was in a really bad place. And I, I thought I'd lost my Olympic dream. I thought I was sort of, I was out. Um, and I remember, I remember over the next sort of four weeks in the lead up to the games, I was, there was still a few more events, um, quite qualifying events. And I just saw my name getting bumped down the list and closer and closer to that, that cutoff. So it was a super stressful time just seeing that I might not qualify, but then also trying to get myself in a, like prepared to, to, to compete at the games. I was still getting super dizzy spells and um, obviously a broken collarbone I was trying to recover from. So it was, it was a really challenging um, time. And then uh, maybe it was a week prior to the games, um, I got the call up to say that I'd, I'd been given um, a position on this adjusted uh, quota list my collarbone was still terrible, but I was able to ski um, and I could, I could work through the pain, but I was, as I mentioned, I was the, I was the last second, no, I was, I was the second last to qualify um, through the adjusted quota list. And I was the lowest ranked skier at that start gate. Wow. Um, and I finished seventh on the day. So I made it all the way to the semifinals and I narrowly missed the, the final round. And it was just, yeah, it really was. It was kind of like it was a dream come true to like to make the Olympics, but then to to compete and deliver on the world stage. That's that's something a, a, a moment I'll cherish for the rest of my life. Um, extremely inspiring, and I'm sure Australia was extremely proud of having an athlete like you representing their country, your country, um, on the world we stage. We don't. Um, we. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of us, obviously, that the Australians that compete um, mm-hmm. uh, at a Winter Olympics. I think we had a team of about 40. Um, and we, every every Olympics, we sort of win maybe one, two, three, three medals. So it's, um, yeah, sort of, yeah, to deliver a, a top 10 performance um, was, was pretty incredible. Um, and then that kind of changed. So it, the lead up to Vancouver, I was underdog um not really recognized as a an olympic hopeful or a medal hopeful but on the back of vancouver leading into the next olympics um in 2014 i'd i'd won my first world cup i i think i was, I was ranked in the top 10 um and I, I significantly progressed my um um i guess ranking in the sport and and my skills and everything was going um relatively well in the lead up to um lead up to Sochi I'd I was ranked um uh, maybe maybe just outside the top 10 but I'd well and truly accrued enough points in the season prior to qualify for the games um there was maybe a handful of events prior to the Olympics that um we still had to compete in but I'd, I'd accrued enough points that I couldn't there was no chance of me getting bumped out of that top 35 um so everything was going well. And then I was back in Australia. I was in my strength and conditioning phase for our domestic season. Um, and I received a, a phone call that I never thought I'd receive. But um, my my father was um, involved in a tragic workplace accident, um, and which he, which he lost his life. So that, it's amazing just how like a life event like that just changes your perspective on everything it just it and it, it seems like you dedicated your whole life to this olympic pursuit and this olympic campaign but 
it's amazing how trivial something like that becomes when when you deal with a life event like that and um so really that that threw everything um um up in the air for me and i i moved back to, i was in sydney at the time um working with my strength and conditioning coach there but i moved back to jindabyne um where i grew up to be with my mum and my brother and and just sort of work through that time i kind of put sport the olympics on hold just to just to yeah be with family and and kind of support them so it was a it was a really really challenging time and um my my father ran a um construction company so i um moved home to 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 run that um we had um uh, maybe 10 15 employees that um sort of relied on that um that uh paycheck i guess week to week so i kind of took on that responsibility to to try and um make sure they were all okay and, and financially um set up and yeah it was just a, it was a really challenging um period of my uh, period of life and um it wasn't until probably six months after that event um that i i started to turn my attention back to the olympics and i was sort of like look i've i've, I've kind of I've pre-qualified mm-hmm. um my dad would have absolutely wanted me to go it seems um crazy not to pursue that so i i sort of shifted gears and i started to get back into um preparing for those games and it probably in hindsight i think um i i think i was probably quite underprepared in, in many respects i just wasn't wasn't really in the right um frame of mind i hadn't really done the work in terms of my off season my pre-season training i hadn't spent the time on snow um, but I, I departed and went overseas. I think it was October or November. Um, and it was one of the first, um, one of the first events of the year um, at a venue called San Candido, Italy. Now, mm-hmm. this event, um, is, it's where I'd won um, my first World Cup there. Um, and so it's, it's a venue that I enjoyed racing at and I was confident at. Um, but in, in the qualification round, I think of the first day, had a really really bad crash and i um i wound up being airlifted to the hospital um where i woke up with um four um they're called your spine's made up of um obviously you've got your your spinal cord and your vertebrae that surrounds that and then you've got these transverse processes which is like the wings um and i'd broken four of my transverse processes on my left side i had a pneumothorax um which is like a an air pocket on my lung, um, and I just remember lying in that in that hospital bed. Just like not only had I uh, I'd lost my dad early in the year, I'd I'd made every effort to get back to those Olympics, and then and then to have just had that Olympic dream ripped from me again. It just it was that was without a doubt my low point. Just trying to rationalise rationalize all of it and try and understand what what was to be and it's probably the first time that I think um losing my father really like sunk in and I just had time to process that so it was yeah it was a really really dark and challenging time um and it's funny how like 
it's just funny how your mind works. And I think in that time, I there, there was it, it wasn't in the first few days. It's probably a week later that I probably appreciated that this was as bad as it gets, um, and it was only up from here. So I quickly quickly turned my attention to um, how do I like? Is it possible to get back to the Olympics? Is it is it possible to rehab? Um, at the time, I wasn't able to fly back to Australia because I had this air pocket on my lungs, so I had to stay in Italy for a bit longer. But I just started like trying to turn my attention to what could be and, and if it was a possibility. Um, and then I eventually got back to Australia, um, and the doctors, I don't know whether they were trying to fill me with confidence or or optimism, but they they downplayed the um, the extent of the injuries, and they really encouraged me to sort of like push hard and um really? start training again and yeah it was sort of like the rationale was your transverse processes are surrounded by so much muscle mm -hmm. that you're not going to make it any worse so you're, you're not going to like within within reason you can't you can't break it any worse so mm -hmm. you need to start exercising to start stimulating those muscle groups so that they don't fade away um so keep like even just things like like jogging on the treadmill or um, when I say jogging, it's like walking on the treadmill, um, but even just doing in the pool and, and swimming laps. And when I, when I first got in the pool, I couldn't put my arm above my head, um, wow. but it, it eventually it, it progressed and it got better day by day. And it, it started to like exponentially, exponentially got better. And I eventually um, rehabbed to a position where, they were they were like yep okay you're let's let's have a go let's see if we can get you back on snow let's see how that on snow um, component goes and then we'll reassess whether you're ready for for Sochi so I got back on snow had a couple of days um, it wasn't great but it wasn't it was probably better than I thought it was going to be so we sort of kept progressing and we just kept taking each day as it came and each day was better than the last and yeah, I finally um, got the all clear to compete at um, Sochi. And it was uh, like, I was far from my best form um, to say the least, but I got there. Um, and I think like, in my mind, that was kind of, that's as good a job as I could, given all the circumstances, I, I feel like I reached my goal. Yeah. It's a victory in itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so it's it's refreshing to even hear that too with, and, and this is no, I'm not trying to, have no offense to physicians or anybody responsible for somebody's care ultimately, but more often than not, it would typically be, oh, you can't, or it's not safe, or it's not possible. Um, and so it's really nice to, to hear that oh no, it's possible. I was like, you, it can't get any worse. And you were all on the same page when it came to um, getting to the Olympics. Cause I oftentimes too, even with, with athletes that I've seen, they typically, it's like, they're going to compete regardless, like regardless of what you, you have to say, what advice you have to give them, whether it be good, whether it be bad. Um, and so, I mean, kudos to your whole team to have, to, put it on themselves to do everything they can to put you in a better position. 
um, and you yourself, especially to, to say exactly that, well, it literally cannot get any worse than it, than it is right now and can only improve from here on out. And, and I wanna let, highlight, what was the time frame for this? Because I think that is just something that yeah. you need to, to from, know. From memory, um, it was about six weeks from when I broke uh -huh. my back to when I competed at the game. So yeah, you think about like just, just the emotional roller coaster of those six weeks. Um, and I kind of took the approach of, um, I, I need to do this rehab anyway. So why not try and do it as quickly as I possibly can with the goal being the Olympics and let's see how it plays out. Like yeah. it's, it's, there's no, like, yeah, if you're half ass it, you're not going to get there. Um, it's going to take, yeah, it was just sort of that approach of like, why not? Like, yeah. why not give it a go? And you're right, like it, to have those physicians and physios in my corner encouraging me to to push harder than I probably felt that I was comfortable pushing um, and just understanding how the body works and how um, that those bones and those muscle groups work and understanding, um, yeah, just, just how it, that idea of you, you can't make it worse. So it's about activating those muscles so they don't deteriorate because that's going to be the, like when, when we talk about rehab from injury, like a broken bone will mend, but it's the it's the muscles around it that take time to to recover. And, and particularly when you're like a common injury, common um, snow sports industry in, in, um, injury is is blowing your ACL, your anterior crucial ligament in your knee. Mm -hmm. And the surgery is fine. You get your um, whatever it is your your hamstring or a, um, um, inserted as a as a replacement ACL. But what takes the time is the recovery and rebuilding the muscles around your knee and your hamstring, if that's where they've taken the graft from, as opposed to the actual ligament that's been inserted. So, yeah, just understanding, just understanding that element, I think, was was a real mind shift for me about um, how to tackle the rehab. So, yeah, and having that, and it all worked out. yeah, having that having that shift in mindset of. Uh what went right and in the face of uncertainty, what, what's within my control to do today. And instead of having your usual targeted 12 month plan every day was let's get through what we can today. Let's see how we can progress and gradually seeing that improvement from the day to day within six weeks, mind you. So I, I think it- Well, and, and those six weeks, they were like 12 hour days every, so I'd, I'd literally go, I'd, I'd get up, I'd go, I'd, I'd do some, I'd do some walking and swimming in the pool. Then I would go to the gym. Then I'd do physio. Then I'd do um, recovery in the pools. And it would just, it was like one thing after another. Um, and yeah, it was, it was the most intense sort of um, rehab block that I've obviously ever done. It was, um, but it's pretty incredible what your body can do when you, when you put your mind to it. Yeah. I can only, I can only imagine like 12 hour day of, basically just straight exercise the entire time for the most part. Um, but uh, and I think that's really why I wanted you to interview today, you today, because it's such an inspiring story for anybody out there, whether it be they struggling with personal issues or a loss of a family member, or they're coming back from a major injury that could be potentially career ending or could 
deter their plans for competing at the world stage or just progressing as an athlete. And um, I think more, pe more people need to hear those types of stories. Um, so thank you again for sharing that. I, I'm, I'm sure it's not always easy to kind of rehash some of those, those events, but um, just truly inspiring. That's like the only word that comes to mind. <laughs> um, Look, for what it's worth, I think people, like you have to write your own story, particularly when it comes to like, uh, I mean, I've, I've heard so many stories about whether it's athletes or, um, or otherwise that they have a career ending injury. Um, and you hear so many stories about where athletes um, make that recovery from a career ending injury. So I guess my advice is everyone writes their own story. And yes, there is a majority that don't, but why not be the exception? Yeah, or, or at least do what you can, what's in your, within your control to try. Um, because yep. I, I, I'm a firm believer in it's okay to fail. I'd rather try and fail than not try at all. Um, because that, that totally. only, only feeds into other things, other aspects of your life and other, or other events or other sports you want to venture into, whatever the case may be. Um, and so working with physios for, for that, that period of time and, and that intensively and basically all day, um, is there anything that you learned with that interaction or that experience that you would like to highlight when it comes to physios or physical therapists? Any, any advice you'd like to share for those who are, who are new to that field? That's a good question. Um, look, we always had, um, like it, when you're on tour, um, you, you have like a really close relationship with your, with your physio because you spend between half an hour and an hour every day on the bench talking to them about, about everything from, from life just to your, to your injuries and everything else. Um, my, my advice is probably, um, particularly athletes know their body so well um, and they know if, if things are, are niggling or out of place. So my advice to, to any physio otherwise is just that, it's just listening is yes understand like you obviously you whether you do your assessment you understand how the body works but it's particularly an athlete will will be able to they might not be able to articulate um what's wrong but if something's off they that's what you need to need to listen to yeah i love it i love it. i need to do i need to be better i think it's um it's much easier i think for the most part clinicians already have in their mind what they want to say uh, before yeah. before even the thought has been processed in the brain uh, appropriately and so I try I, I try every day to at least pause for a second and really try and digest what they're telling telling me and really try and and empathize with with the athlete with the client patient whatever the case may be um, because it's their experience and, and we've all had our own experiences of, of pain and injury. And we, I think it's easier to forget when, when it's, it, when you're not dealing with it actively, you know? And so just trying to be aware of that too. Yeah. And you, that idea of like, when, when a patient comes in and, and talks about, um, talks about their, their issue, 
not trying to fit a solution around their issue. I think it's more about building up the issue from, from first principles and kind of understanding what's, what the problem is, what the cause is, and yeah, exploring every kind of option as to how you, how you solve that. Yeah. And what would you give, what advice would you give to struggling athletes or any, any athlete that has may, may have personal issues or current injuries, whatever the case may be, what advice would you give to them? Look, there's a couple of things that I, um, I mottos or yeah, I guess, um, lines that I live by. And uh, a couple of them is, is control the controllables. Um, I took that approach. Some, obviously we competed in a sport where you're, you're in the elements and things change on a, on a, a minute by minute basis and you have to be able to adapt and it's not worth stressing about those things that you can't control what you can control is your process um and that's really i mean that's 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 across everything whether it's um sport or business or otherwise um if you control the process and control what you're in control of um let let the results let let the other elements just unfold the way um the way they will it's not worth stressing over trying to trying to fit them into a box and in trying to um yeah trying to trying to manage them because you, you inevitably you can't um the other element is i think there's a positive to be found in every situation if you're motivated and determined enough to, to find it um and i look at um just the the issue with or just the um that whole year with, with losing my dad and then um, and then having to recover from that injury and and just trying to search for search for a positive search for um, something good and and if you if if you do have that determination if you do have that motivation um, there is a positive outcome to be found. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I am for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> um, and so. My last question for you, Scott, is very important, extremely important. What is your favorite muscle? I ask this all, to all of the interviewees. <laughs> well, I should really answer with, um, and I, I don't know the name. Perhaps you could help me out. But what are the, what's the, um, what, what would be the muscle group that that surrounds your um, transverse processes? Because that, that's the muscle group that really. Um, that, that saved my um, my Olympic appearance in Sochi. Oh man, there's a bunch. Man. Oh, you put me on the spot. But I mean, like, so the main ones are like. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad <laughs> I've done the tables because you certainly put me on the spot. So there you go. I mean, you have like the 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 smaller muscles that are literally connecting the vertebrae from vertebrae to vertebrae, and then you have the the larger muscles that connect the entire vertebrae with each other so you have like the the group the erector spinae or spinae i'm i'm not sure how people pronounce it but that's the the different types of pronunciations and then you have things so like the smaller muscles that go from vertebrae to vertebrae uh, multifidi the rotatories or rotators muscles um the longissimus muscles oh my gosh there's a bunch that's pretty good that's yeah. pretty good. So <laughs> let's go with let's go with one of those. 
<laughs> I like it. I'm, <laughs> I love this. I, I, I'm very surprised by all the answers. I continue to get it. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy about that. Um, and I suspect they're, I suspect they're all related to each individual's um, experiences, right? Like and their personalities. I got the one. So the, the muscles responsible for the smile muscles responsible, oh, yeah. but your hip muscles or your glutes, right? Um, I got the shoulder muscle, so it's it's been fun. It's been fun. Epic. Oh, that's a good um, question. It's a good way to round out a podcast. Right. <laughs> um, but thank you again so much, Scott. It's been really fun talking with you today. Um, and uh, man, uh, congrats again to your family, your growing family, and uh, I hope everything is well over there in Australia. Yeah, we're just coming into uh, into summer, so it's um, yeah, it's awesome. I'm looking uh, looking forward to a yeah, that's some warmer weather and yeah. But look, thanks again. I really appreciate um, the time and yeah, sharing my story and yeah, thank you. Yes. All right. And so I I'm gonna.